0: So we have studied all all seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. If you missed one of those letters, go back, find that sermon online, listen to that sermon. And and we took one at a time. Each week we did one letter. But I I want you to realize that this book was delivered and really it was meant to be read all at once. And so we're going to Sort of take that approach today. I'm not going to read all seven letters at once. I'm going to rely on your memory to remember what we talked about. And, and you can check in your scripture as we speak. But we're going to join them together. This is a series of letters that really make up a message that Jesus has for the church. And the church has, has, has gone along over time. It's increased. It's decreased. It's been strong. It's been weak and these letters address every church at every stage in every time and every era. And so we look at them today as if they were written to us. There's seven letters written to seven churches. We're going to identify with one letter more than another, but in every letter there's something that should speak to us. And so I want to take the approach today as if we had read them all at once. What do they say as a whole? So really today's sermon is review and application of the last seven sermons. So we're going to spend most of our time looking right at our notes, and I want you to follow along, and and hopefully memories will be triggered, and if not, you can go back and listen, but it's good to take it as a whole. We're going to divide these letters into several categories. So the first category is things every church should embrace. And, and what I mean by every church should embrace these are the things we want God to compliment us on. If a letter was actually be written to our very church, we want these things to be in the beginning where He says, "I know your deeds. I know that you this, this, and this." And then we want it to be on the positive side of the letter. We want to receive this, and we want to be complimented on this. And it shows that we're faithful. So this is a faithful church. And, of course, the church is made up of individuals. So as individuals, we must also be faithful. Remember, each letter ends with to those who are victorious or to true believers, something of that nature, where he writes a letter to the church, but then he addresses the individuals. The promises are for individuals and the church because the church is made up of individuals. So this is our calling. This is who we are to be, both as individuals and as a church. So what are the things that we should embrace, what are the things we should be striving for? Well, A, in your notes, God says that he is pleased with hard work and perseverance. Hard work and perseverance. Now, this kind of goes against the American dream and the human way of thinking because we think we've arrived and we've become successful when we don't have to work hard and we don't have to have perseverance because we're just living in the benefits of our life. That's what retirement's all about. That's what working hard's all about. Every, uh, every human endeavor has the idea that one day we'll get there, wherever there is, and when we get there, we can relax. And when we're the relaxing, then we can really enjoy life. And frankly, the Bible never says that. It says the relaxing comes in heaven when we're in the new heaven and the new earth, and even then it won't be a lazy relaxation, it'll be a fulfilling relaxation where we serve God without the hindrance of our sin nature. And we serve God without the hindrance of living in a broken world. We'll be living in the world that God originally created in the new creation, and we'll be functioning as He intended us to function without sin, and that will be relaxing. Relaxing. We will enjoy our work and enjoy our service and we'll enjoy our worship, but neither here nor there are we ever to walk away from hard work or perseverance. We are literally called to maintain the struggle. We're we're encouraged to pray long-term prayers. Some of you have prayed for an unsaved friend or family member for years or decades and, and God calls you to keep praying. He never says, hey, you prayed for three or four years, and if they haven't gotten saved, then they're probably not going to, so go ahead and give up. He says, keep on praying. Keep on looking for an opportunity to share the gospel. When we're training up leaders, He never says, stop discipling. He never says, when you have this many people serving, you can stop the program. There's always more areas to lead in, there's always more leadership to take place. There's always more service to do, there's always more prayers to pray, there's always more people to invest in. There's always more encouragement that's needed. So we we don't stop. We maintain the struggle. We pray the prayers, we train and disciple. We minister to children and youth because there's always more children and youth and they grow up into adults and they need ministering too and there's just there's no end. There's no end for the church. We, we will never outgrow our purpose and we'll never get to the point where we've succeeded enough to stop. So God calls us to hard work and perseverance. Maintain the struggle. Don't give up. Keep going until I return was a phrase that we heard a lot in those letters. That's one thing. B, in your notes, every church should embrace Intentionally, I know it's a long word. Intentionally, identifying and avoiding false teachers and their teaching. This came up over and over and over again. There was the Nicolaitans. There was uh, Jezebel. There was those who practiced the teaching of Balaam. There was every almost every letter. Not everyone, but a lot of them had this element where where it was either commended to them for not following the false teacher, or they were warned because they were following a false teacher. Or they were being punished because they were following a false teacher. And so, what we gain from this is we want to, on purpose, be on top of the issue. We want to know when a teaching is false because we are so familiar with the truth. We want to investigate something new to find out if it fits with Scripture. And this is who we need to be as a church. We can't just go with a bandwagon. I'll give you an example. Sometimes we name names. I know people get uncomfortable with it, but I don't. You know, there was a fellow named Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley led a church for over 50 years, I believe. And and he preached the gospel. And he preached God's word. And, and, and God blessed him through the process. And they did a lot of good things. They were in Texas. His son, Andy also became a pastor, but Andy said, I don't want to be a pastor like my dad. It's too difficult the way my dad preaches. He's not very nice and loving and tolerant. And Andy Stanley he has become a different preacher. He left his dad's church, went to a different area, uh, got connected with a different group. He also has a very large church, but over time... It's, it's, it's been discovered that he's, he's walking farther away from the gospel truth. Farther away from what the Bible actually teaches. To the point where now, people who watch these things are calling him a false teacher. And it's our job to have our radar up so that we see and hear these things. Because there was a time when we did a study by Andy Stanley... And now there is a time when we will not do a study by Andy Stanley. The old study's been thrown out because he's not following the scriptures. His dad was really good. And his dad was faithful. And and we think, well, Andy Stanley's he got the same name. He grew up in this house. He's going to be great. And we give him credit for that. But it doesn't always work out that way. Some of you have heard of Rick Warren. Some of you know the controversy going on there. It was—it was probably a decade ago. Started hearing rumblings that Rick Warren's gospel wasn't fully the gospel. They were soft selling the gospel and making it easier. Really, really being favorable to the crowd rather than the gospel. And so we pay attention and we listen. And then this happens, and that happens, and you take a close look at it, and a guy I used to look up to, I don't look up to him anymore. And now he's taking his church in, in a direction that caused him and his church to be kicked out of the Southern Baptist denomination. And he's not, he didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I was mistaken. He said, no, you guys are wrong. You're not progressive enough. There's a word that should be a red flag. And so we have, to be, we have to watch these things. So as a church, we have to, on purpose, keep our eyes and ears open so that when these things happen, we discern who we should listen to and who we shouldn't listen to. We need trusted people to teach us and to, and to disciple us outside of the church as well as inside the church. So we have to be aware. So we are literally called as a church to keep our eyes and ears open and to manage these things your notes every church should embrace the idea that enduring hardship for the name of Jesus is our calling we're going to endure hardship now in America we don't endure a lot of hardship and frankly when something happens we call it hardship other places in the world would laugh at how easy we have it you know we we endure a little hardship Um, I remember back when when COVID was here remember that and we decided we were going to have church. We weighed the scriptures. And we heard what we were being told by the authorities. And we compared the scriptures and the instructions. And we said, these things don't go together. Are we going to follow God? Or are we going to follow the authorities? Well, normally we do follow the authorities, except when they interfere with God's instruction. So we chose to follow God and we started meeting as a church. And we took steps of normalization, and we were meeting as a church. And there were people in our own community who had things to say about us, who had things to say to me, who didn't agree. And, and we felt like, wow, that's persecution, that's hardship. And then we realized that there's parts of the country where simply by becoming a Christian, your life is in danger. So yeah, we, we had a lot of hardship here and there. People might be angry with us and say mean things to us, and we do that, but we're not to the point where our life is in danger. Um, We might be getting close to the point where we might be arrested or might be penalized for our faith, and that does happen, and that's a hardship. I don't want to degrade the hardship we have. I just want you to know it can be a lot worse. And so, God calls the church to endure hardship for the name of Jesus. That does not mean we go around stirring up trouble and get people mad at us because we're hypocrites or jerks or just the loudest person in the room. When people are mad at us for that, we deserve it. And we should learn a lesson from that. Right? So we endure hardship for the name of Christ. Or in the name of Christ. There have been people right here in the United States that have endured hardship for the name of Christ. Pretty close to us, not that far away in Roseburg, Oregon, when there was an active shooter at Umpqua Junior College, he literally asked people, are you a Christian? And your answer determined whether you lived or died. Those people were suffering hardship immediately in that moment in time. And some of them endured the hardship, some of them even lost their lives, but they would not deny the name of Christ. So there are hardships, and we are called to endure them. We're instructed to endure the small ones and the big ones. D, every church should embrace a strong commitment to the person and lordship of Jesus, especially when we suffer, even more so when we see others suffering or even dying. Remember the accommodation to the church, I I know you've been faithful even when so-and-so was killed. like One of your own got killed... And your response to that was to be faithful. Now, we face uh, hardships in a variety of ways. We've mentioned that sometimes our hardship comes in such a way where it causes us to question God. Wow, I just got news from the doctor that I have cancer. I can respond by saying, God, I need you now more than ever. You're the way I'm going to get through this. Be with me. And that is putting the Lordship of Christ and, and the name of Jesus at the front. Or we could say, you know what, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. this isn't fair. I don't even know if I can trust you. And that's not putting Jesus where he needs to be. When my taxes are due and I don't have the money, when my business is failing and that's where I put all my hope, when a relationship is ending or, or, or some other tragedy is striking, My strong commitment to the person and lordship of Jesus drives me to him. That's what needs to be known. That's who we need to be. That when we get the worst news, it drives us towards the Lord. In your notes, we should embrace the idea that that love and faith increase over time. Love and faith increase over time. They were commended because they they were having more faith and, and, and doing more things over time. And that should be the battle cry for all of us. You should look back over the past year, two years, five years, if you've been a believer that long, or months even if you're a new believer, and you should say, how have I grown? Am I trusting God more? Am I learning about God more? Am I excited about my walk with Christ? Is it, is it increasing over time? Am I more excited to be in church now than before? Am I more excited to learn what the Bible says now than before? Am I more likely to forgive now than before? Am I more likely to love my neighbor, to help my neighbor? Am I more likely to sacrifice my own self or possessions for someone else? Am I more likely to be generous? Am I more likely to say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, no matter what you say, no matter what you do? Am I more likely to do that now than before? Do I realize that I need God more now than before? My love and faith should be increasing. Our love and faith should be increasing. F. The instructions were given to never give up. So we should embrace never giving up, regardless of size, resource, obstacle, or opposition. By the world standards, by the world standards, things like how many people do you have? How much money do you have? Who's for you? Who's against you? These are the things that matter in making a decision. To us of faith, our first place to go is to God and say, what is your instruction? What is your will? And when God clearly indicates what his will is, then we move forward regardless of these other things. That's how a church should operate. That's how we should operate. And then the last one, G. We should embrace using whatever resource opportunity God gives for His glory and His kingdom. His glory and His kingdom. These are all things that came out of these letters. These are all the things we want to hear. Then there's some promises, and these promises follow the recognition that this is who we are. To the true believers, to those who are victorious, that's the phrase used. Promise that Jesus makes to the churches who are faithful and the people, the faithful people in those churches. So, first promise, Andrew your notes, Jesus promises a relationship with himself as Savior now. So we have a relationship with Jesus as Savior now, which gives us our salvation. There's the 100% guaranteed security in our salvation. It can't be taken away. It can't be lost. And an active friendship with Christ in eternity. So we have, right now, being saved. The entire time we're we're walking on this planet, the security of our salvation, and we have eternity to look forward to, where it says He will walk with us, and and His name is written on us, and we belong to Him. There is a relationship. We get to take part in the victory celebration. That's the first promise. The second promise is opportunities to serve God while on this earth that cannot be taken away by men. Remember the phrase, I I open doors that cannot be closed, and I close doors that cannot be opened? If God gives us an opportunity and we step through that door, nothing can close that door. If God's giving us something, if He's offering us something, then we move forward and we take that step. And as faithful individuals and as a faithful church, God will give us opportunities. If we are not seeing opportunities, then we have not proven faithful. And when we see them that's evidence of our faithfulness. See God promises freedom from having to go through the tribulation or God's judgment of sin. He promises a freedom like he said I'm not going to make you go through the worst of it when I'm really working hard to get people's attention. I'm not going to you're not going to be here for that. And frankly it's not so much that Jesus is being nice to us it's much more the fact that he's making it clear to everyone else who's in charge. Because when he takes all his people away, the world will want to know where these people went, and they will find the correct answer. They'll come up with some wrong answers and some fake answers, and I'm sure there'll be propaganda, but anyone who's got a Bible and anyone who's got a, the Internet can search things. We'll find lots of people explaining what the rapture is. And when all the people are gone... That's the first time Jesus says again in that period of time, hey, you should really pay attention because I'm real. This big promise I made just came true, and there's some more things I promised that are still coming. And so when that happens, he's going to have our attention. But Jesus says, hey, that's going to be a really rough time, and you guys that are true and faithful believers are not going to have to go through that. And even better than that, when we line up at the judgment seat of Christ, when when we line up to pay for our sins, you don't have to get in that line. You're going to get in another line. And you're in the reward line. So you don't even have to go through the trial because the price has already been paid by Jesus. You go straight to the reward line. So you don't have to go through the judgment seat or the judgment of hell. You don't even have to go through the tribulation. That's a promise he gave us. D... He promises us participation, which means we get to be a part in Jesus' victory, the recognition that comes with that, and the celebration to come. We're not just pawns in the battle that are going to be forgotten about. We will celebrate with Jesus the victory. He will allow us to have a part in the victory and the recognition and the celebration. He says you have that to look forward to. And lastly, he promises eternal life, heavenly treasure, authority and position in God's kingdom. Now some of these things are super clear, some of them are a little bit ambiguous, but these are the things he promised to the churches. And, and if you can put yourself in their position, the hardships they endured, the life-threatening conditions they lived in, the fact that they could lose their income, that they could lose their life and their livelihood, these are these are good promises. Like you're afraid now, but you won't have to be afraid later. The people who are oppressing you now will one day bow and you'll hear them say that Jesus is Lord. You will not be in the line that they're in receiving their punishment for sin. You'll be in the other line receiving a reward for faithfulness. You'll have a relationship with me in heaven where we'll walk and talk together. And so that, that meant a lot to them. Those are the promises that were made. So we have... Things a church should be, and the promises that are made, and then we come to things we must avoid and the consequences if we don't. Things we must avoid and the consequences we don't. This is what we don't want on our resume. So, A, we must avoid forgetting who and why we serve. We can't forget that we serve Christ and Christ alone. We can't forget that God is God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the one who sent his son. We can't forget that that, that he's the the God of creation and, and the God of promises. We can't forget who we serve and we can't forget why we serve him. Why do we serve him? Because he forgave us of our sins and is offering us eternity in heaven. We serve him because of what he's done. We love him because he first loved us. We're saved because he called us. We recognize that. So we don't forget who we serve. We don't forget why we serve. Because if we do, we may very well lose the very privilege of being a church. That's the specific warning. This would be described as those who forgot their first love. And he says, you've forgotten your first love. It's all about you and not me. And if you don't change, I'm going to take your church away. And that sounds like an ancient threat. But the more I think about this, the more I see God taking churches away. Where he says, you haven't served me in a long time, and I'm going to take your church away. Sometimes it happens very quickly. The fall of a pastor. a, A natural disaster. Scandal. And the church is ruined and it's done for. And, and and it it when it wasn't about God, he said, I don't need you, I don't need you spreading my name around in this way. And you can think of one or two, maybe even three, that that's happened to. And then he also says, You've forgotten about me a little bit at a time, year after year. You're not sharing the gospel anymore, you're not doing anything, you're 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 not really being my church, and so I'm just gonna let you be what you are. And 50 turned into 40, and 40 turned into 30, and 30 turned into 20, and all of a sudden there's six or eight people in church, and they're wondering what happened and what can be done. And God's already left. And the church ceases to exist. It becomes a county health center, becomes the Vista Park office complex, becomes something else a house somebody lives in, becomes whatever. And I think God is still in the business of shutting down churches. I don't want to be that church. I want to be the church that gets the, hey, you're doing a good job, keep it up. You've been faithful, keep it up. So we've got to always remember who we serve and why we serve them. Second thing to avoid, embracing the teaching of false teachers. Because this will cause Jesus to act as our enemy. Remember, in Pergamum, he said, "You're listening to the teachings of Balaam, and if you don't stop, I'm going to fight you." Whatever that means, can't be good. And then in Thyatira, he said, you, "You've gone too far. Now I'm going to use you as an example to everyone else." So if we if we start listening to the false teachers, we're asking Jesus to come be our enemy or to make an example of us. Those are the consequences. The other side of the page, which will avoid compromise in our behavior, including not practicing evangelism, that's one of the first compromises. The unfinished work that was mentioned. Because those we love will not be spiritually ready when Christ does return like a thief has promised, or worse yet, they won't be spiritually ready when they die, because everyone dies. If, if, if you have the opinion that one day I'll serve Christ, one day I'll accept Christ, that one day may never come. And if we don't share and Christ returns, they're going to live through the tribulation because they're going to miss the rapture. So we can't compromise in any way. We don't compromise our behavior. We don't compromise our teaching. We don't compromise our evangelism. We spent a little time on that. D, this is an interesting word to put here, but we need to avoid relaxing. And let me finish the sentence. We need to avoid relaxing before the idols of comfort and self-sufficiency, or Jesus will quit using us altogether in ministry. I think the phrase he used was, he'd spit us out of his mouth. Who reject our service. When we're doing so well that we don't need God, we're in trouble. Now I want to point out something in this list of avoidances and the consequences. Notice that the end result of each case is not the loss of salvation. We are not in jeopardy of losing our salvation if we're true believers. If, if we're duped or fooled or faulted temptation or someone leads us astray, we don't lose our salvation, but we might lose our church. That's, that's the threat. We could lose our church. We could lose the effectiveness of our church. It's not a, not a, not a matter of losing your salvation. I just want to make sure that was clear. Lessons to learn, A, attitude, and motive matter when it comes to our deeds of service. I can be doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons, and God's going to say, well, great, but who cares? I need to be doing the right things for the right reasons, because I love my neighbor, because I love God, because I want to see people saved, because I want to honor God. Attitude and motive matter. We talked about that. B, Biblical understanding is vital to spiritual integrity and spotting false doctrines. We've got to know the Bible. We've got to understand the Bible. So we need to be practicing that. C, when we think, I've got this, I don't need God to help me, we're in a dangerous place. That's a dangerous place to be. D, our strength and hope, which allow us to be faithful and endure hardship, come from our understanding of heaven... A reward in heaven, eternity, and an unhindered relationship with Jesus. If we ever really suffer, the thing that's going to get us through it is a knowledge of what is still to come. That's what he told them. You who are suffering, keep your eye on the future, keep your eye on your reward. Hard for us to understand, but still true. E, not one time did God promise an easy life comfort and financial freedom can however put us in a position to be tempted by Satan. One of Satan's lies is that your end goal is to be comfortable. Your end goal is to have security in your own own wealth and your own IQ or your own opportunities. God never promised us an easy life. He actually never called us to an easy life. He called us to persevere and to carry on. F. Our job is to represent and present Jesus as Savior to the unsaved world. We are not only to represent, we are to make the presentation. Applications. We need to remind ourselves over and over again who we serve and why. We're going back to that. Remember that? Do not forsake your first love. Don't forget who you serve. Don't forget why you serve. You know why we need to remember this? Because we're going to forget. We're going to get carried away by our circumstances. We're going to forget what we're doing. We're going to be wrapped up in the success of a program. We need to remind ourselves how. We're going to do it through communion once a month, where we stop and say, you know what? If it wasn't for Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have salvation. We're going to remind ourselves that it's all about Jesus. We're going to do it through communion. We're going to do it through baptism. Where we stand up, we give a testimony. And we say, this is how I got saved, this is why I know I'm saved. I'm here to proclaim this to everybody so that we can all rejoice in the testimony and be reminded of our own testimony. So we remind ourselves through communion and baptism, we remind ourselves as we sing, as we pray, and as we listen to sermons each week, as well as in our effort to encourage, to give, and to serve. And C, we remind ourselves through personal and intentional discipleship. Which means you figure out how you learn, and then you maximize that process. I figured out I'm an auditory and visual learner. I can read books all day long and not get anything out of them. Sometimes you guys give me books, and you say how good of a book it is. And I hear you say it's a good book, and I believe that it's a good book, and I have the desire to read it, but I read a little bit, and I realize it's not that good of a book for me. What I do, I realize my way of learning, I maximize my opportunity, I listen to podcasts. And and, and if there's a video attached, I watch the video. So I take time that I have when I ride my bike in the morning, time that is not occupied by anything else, where there's really no distractions, because it's dark most of the time, and I ride my bike and I listen to the podcast, And I remember almost everything they say. And I can recall it, and I can think about it, and I can apply it to situations, and I can ponder it. So some of it is preaching straight out of God's Word. Some of it is people telling me the the Christian worldview and how to think about something. Some of it's people sharing testimonies or or relaying what they've learned. And and that's that's how I learn. You may not learn that way. Maybe you are a reader, and your library needs to be full so that you can get those books back off the shelf and refer to them. Pastor Terry and Winlock had a whole wall full of books. And what always amazed me about him was when I had a question, he would start talking and he'd stand up and he'd walk over to his library, he'd pull a book off the shelf, start flipping through while he's talking, turn to a page and say, here's a great answer. And I had a reference material in writing that I could use. That's, that's how I deal with words on the page. It's reference material. But he loved to read, and he used his reading as discipleship. You've got to figure out how you learn. You've got to figure out how to get God's Word into your mind and into your life, and then you need to deliberately make that happen. You can use things like music to help you in the process. Maybe you need to listen to the Bible and you need to listen to a dramatized version so it's, so it's easier for you to relate to. You've got to figure that out. I also learn by going to camps and retreats, and I think a lot of people learn by camps and retreats. There's the excitement of the, of the event. You're, you're camping with your friends. You talk about things. You learn together. As you're going to a meal, you talk about what you just heard. That kind of thing works for me. So I try to go to all the camps and retreats I can go to. I, I try to get what I can out of them. I also know that if I sit in the front, I do better than if I sit in the back. So to the annoyance of most of my friends and family, I drag them all to the front, and we sit in the front together, so I have no distractions. We've got to learn how you operate, you've got to know how you learn, and then you maximize the opportunities to learn in those fashions, because we need that. Number two, we must make God's word our only authority and guide in our lives. I think we've probably beat that horse enough for today. Number three, we must never allow finances, personnel, or good press to tempt us to think more highly of ourselves than the simple servants of God we are. I appreciate it when you guys leave and say that was a good sermon. I like that. I appreciate it when somebody says, oh, we're so glad you're the pastor. I like that. I, I appreciate it when, when people give me compliments, so don't stop. But, train trained myself that after I hear them, my first thought is, only because God has allowed it, only because God has made it happen, I remind myself all the time that it's really weird that you people show up every Sunday to hear me talk. That is not normal. There are lots of people that have known me over the years who can't believe you do that. It's a, it's a God thing. Okay? It's truly a God thing. And I remind myself of that because I don't need to start thinking so highly of myself reading my own press clippings And walking in here going, aren't you people lucky that I'm here today? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if I ever take a Sunday off? That would be very wrong. We should all have that attitude in in any area that we're serving. It's, It's never about us or the things around us. It's always about God. Number four, we must realize that when we serve God, we will be opposed. We must also be willing to allow God to use that opposition however he chooses. We will be opposed. Don't be surprised when you're opposed. Don't be surprised when someone complains. It's going to happen. Sometimes it happens from within. Sometimes it happens from without. And number five, we must never forget that our job is to love God, each other, and our neighbors faithfully as we maintain readiness to share the hope that we have within us. Now, none of this was new today. For some reason, it took extra long to tell you all this today, but you got over that already. These are the things we need to embrace as a church. These are the things we need to embrace as individuals. These are the things we need to become, and these are the practices we need to practice. If you're not saved, it starts with salvation. None of this is a reality until you're saved, until your sins are forgiven. So if you're not, please talk to someone today and make sure that happens. Father God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for a group of people that's willing to come and hear from you. Thank you for a group of people that's willing to follow you. I pray that we can follow together and we can follow as individuals. I pray that your purposes will be our purposes. I pray that we will hear your voice and your voice alone. We will not let false teachers and false doctrines to creep in. Father, I ask that you not only lead us and guide us, but also provide for us and protect us along the way. And may we be a church that serves you well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.